Is anybody in any way interested in this? Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Now, if ever you needed a reminder that life is cruel, that life is unfair, that life is one crushing defeat after another until you just wish Flanders was dead, then look no further than the San Siro pitch after Saturday night's Champions League final. There was a shirtless player who had done nothing for the entire match hogging the headlines. There was Pepe celebrating with a selfie stick. And there was Juan Fran, a man who had given his heart and his soul for the cause, apologising to the Atletico fans. Here to make sense of this cruel world and this cruel game is Paddy Higgs. Hello. Danny Isroff. Good morning. And Andre Gonzalez. Hi. Gentlemen, I want to start off today with a quote from Diego Simeone. He says, I think that the team that wins is always the best team. Is he right? You know what, I think it reflects Simeone and his personality. You could see how much it meant to him. He is all about winning. And, and for him, it'll be absolutely no consolation that his team you know, played really well for most of the game and we're, we're, we're the better side uh, for, for large portions. I think it's, he was just so crushed um, at, at losing that, that that's how he felt. Crushed is the right word. I've never seen a man look so beaten down by a defeat as Simeone did the other day. It's a cruel world. You've probably seen a few, but... <laughs> <laughs> it, looked, yeah. it looked like something he'd taken really personally, though. If it was, it was really personal. Uh, being in two two finals in three years, losing to Real Madrid for the second time. That hurts a lot. Where was the game won and lost? Anybody want to put a finger on it? Fernando Torres? I would say, yeah. Yeah. Torres. I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, when we were preparing for this podcast. And, um, you know, I think, Danny, you said that they would have been better um, without having Torres even on. And, and actually, if, if Torres had been sent off in the first few minutes, they probably would have, they probably would have been more threatening. <laughs> Did you want some Torres stats to back up your point? Uh, if you've got them handy. Uh, zero shots on target, <laughs> yeah. zero chances created. And I think there was five passes for the entire night. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it was, it was just a, a night of nightmares, you know. Like um, The ball bounced off his knee, going the opposite direction he wanted to be. He couldn't stick anything. The first touch was just, I mean, yeah, it was nowhere. There was yeah. a moment that he couldn't even keep the ball. Yeah, exactly. He was destroying more uh, chances of uh, counterattack for, for Atletico than actually keeping the ball, just yeah. that. Yeah, and, you know, I think... I actually, you know, really enjoyed Torres' return to form the, uh, this season in the latter half of this season. I think he was probably a bit unlucky to miss out for Spain, um, looking at the, the forwards that they're going to take to France. Um, but Jesus, based on, on Saturday's effort, it was probably a good decision. And, and I think that's a, that's a big factor. I think the other one was Madrid's decision, and, and I think you have to give Zidane some credit here, uh, to kind of sit back and let Atleti play in front of them. Uh, and I think that was a huge thing, and it sort of exacerbated the 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 failure of Madrid and and uh, the failure of Atletico, sorry, and and Torres in particular, because they couldn't create anything in front of the the Madrid defense. We've seen how lethal they can be uh, on the counter, getting getting in behind, but um, they 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 really, for all their dominance and their their strong play, Atleti failed to create clear cut chances, and I think that that was they the needed difference. they needed a presence up front, and mm-hmm. Torres was not that man, no, for sure. And you cannot just uh, you cannot create chances without going into some one twos against against Real Madrid, and uh, Torres was not doing anything, not not even keeping the, the ball. Yeah. So you cannot 
you have to wait for a miracle in order to score against Real Madrid without uh, having someone up front. Uh, and Torres was completely absent from the match. What 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 should uh, Simeone have done differently then? I would try Correa from the start. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm not a, a fan of of Torres. I, I I was never a fan of, of Torres. Uh, so I think that it was probably the um, the biggest handicap of Atletico in several matches this this season. There was this last I would say um, six five to ten matches in the end of La Liga when uh, Torres did pretty well, but there was the excep- exception and he ended with uh, eleven goals in a season. You compare compare these numbers to uh, the, the normal a normal Atletico striker in the last ten years, and Torres is by far the worst when it comes to numbers. At the same time, they, they, I mean, they were so it came down to penalties, right? So they they were so so close. I think uh, what I was saying the disappointing thing for me was that Atleti, when they had periods of dominance late on and they had the momentum after scoring, weren't able to to, to press their advantage and, and fashion uh, many chances. I think Simeone, I, I don't know if I would have gone with Correa from the from the start, but I think once it became clear that Madrid were sitting back and uh, Pepe and Sergio Ramos and, and Casemiro were playing very well, they were blocking everything, he needed a, a, a different kind of spark. I would have... Um, brought someone on to, to, to replace yeah, Torres. Agreed, agreed. I yep. think you had to play Torres from the start, um, but it didn't work and that's probably Simeone's mistake that he didn't react to that. I'll probably start with Carrasco and, and Griezmann up front. It's uh, easy to say in hindsight, 2020. <laughs> oh no, but they, they play like this a few times uh, and it worked pretty well because they're really fast, they're really technically involved, so uh, there would be the best way of uh, of trying to, to score, but I think that both managers uh, were not particularly brilliant in the in the final. Well, that's yeah, that's a question I wanted to ask. Something that Danny, uh, something that Danny mentioned off air was that um, when we talk about Zidane, is he more of a Di Matteo and sort of got lucky, or is this is this going to be a Pep? Because those t- substitutions, uh, was, what was yeah, he thinking? It was. I don't think that every single substitution uh, went wrong for both sides. <laughs> the, oh, the, Car- Carrasco. Carrasco. Except yeah, for Carrasco. Yeah. But uh, we know about Carrasco, so um, he should have played uh, from the beginning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, but yeah, uh, the cross, why? Well, and the interesting thing about the cross one, just quickly, uh, the, the Atletico goal, it was Isco. Who, who had somehow fallen into the left-back position and stepped up and the ball was clipped over the top for, for one front. Cruz is a, a much savvier defensive player. He would never have done it. I think uh, Zidane almost cost his team the game with the substitution. And yeah. to my mind, Cruz was maybe man of the match coming up to that stage of the, of uh, the game. I, I probably found him a bit slow at times. Um, he's oh, okay. very much His passing can be very lateral at points as well. But there's also um, an element of control when he's got the ball yeah, because yeah, you know yeah. he's not never going to lose right. it and he's so I qu- think he's quite balanced yeah correct so I think um, you know the, probably what, what Zidane was trying to do was to to break up the game a little bit more and in, increase the pace of you know transition um, but with bringing on Isco and taking off Cruz it ended up being completely the wrong decision yeah and just to return to your original question, it, it's early days, as as uh, Andre mentioned, but um, I think it, the pattern is it looks quite similar to Di Matteo in lots of ways. He's come in, they've had a very easy path to the final. They've gone through uh, Roma, Wolfsburg and, and Man City, probably three sides that aren't in the top seven or eight in Europe. 
uh, and then they they probably were not the better side in the final and and, and managed to win. Um, so I I think based on uh, Zidane's substitutions and and his his style of management in that game, he still has a long way to go. Um, before he he can potentially become a successful manager. Andre, there's already rumours of Unai Emery being courted by Florentino Perez. Yeah, is there anything in that? No, that's not going to happen. Uh, Florentino said yesterday that uh, Zidane is our manager and you're going to stay with him. Our manager for the next five months. We don't know. Something. We will never know with Florentino, <laughs> but he said that. And um, I think if he uh, <laughs> sacked... Zidane after winning the the undecima, I think there would be a rebellion in Madrid right now. Honestly, you mean before this season starts? Yeah, because I'm sure there'll be plenty of people calling for Zidane to be sacked once he suffers his first loss in La Liga. I don't know. He has this uh, Madrid moto with them, mojo with them. So I I don't know. When you once you're Madrid, you're really Madrid to life. For life, and uh, with with Zidane, I think it's it's a bit like this. It, it was play, it was um, coaching the second team, and there was a lot of people in Madrid asking him for to take over the the first team already, right. even when Benitez was just starting. So, okay, do we want to have a word about Pepe? Well, was this Pepe? I mean, Pepe is a great point. I also thought that. Ronaldo's tan. If we're going to go, you know, lighter or darker moments. <laughs> okay, um, well, let's should have been yeah. sent off for that. Yeah. Mark <laughs> Clattenberg's own tan as well. He looked like he rolled in Cristiano Ronaldo before <laughs> he went out there. Yeah. Okay, there so are you some weren't smashing tans out there. Well, you know, he spent Ronaldo spends a lot of time over in Morocco. Yeah, yeah. he certainly spent a lot of time recently. I think he's got a lot of time over there picking <laughs> yeah. up some sun. Um, Pepe, yeah, where do you start with Pepe? Do you think he watches himself? I think so. I think he loves it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's like an entertainer and uh, social media love these kind of things. And they he used to be known as the guy who wants to kill someone in the, on the pitch. Now he's known as the clown of the pitch. It changes change his, uh, his approach. A new brand, rebranding uh, Pepe. Has he seen in Portugal? Is he liked? Uh, no. I don't know. He's, he's a, Brazilian he's a, to start with, so <laughs> yeah. It, but but every everybody uh, calls him Portuguese because he's uh, actually Portuguese. He's been in Portugal since he was uh, seventeen, I think. So yeah, and uh, there's a mixed feelings regarding Pepe because when he used to play for Porto, he was really really rough on a pitch, and there was of course every fan from Sporting or Benfica they hate Pepe. Um, but playing for the national team, you just have to forget those things and support the team. So there's uh, some mixed feelings regarding Pepe. I was just going to bring up uh, again relative to sort of his antics on the on the pitch. Uh, there was a great article in the Guardian which suggested that maybe the way to to go about these kind of things and to prevent them is to have uh, is to send players off using um, extra officials using video mm-hmm. replay. Uh, to review these incidents. I, I agree that something has to be done. I don't like doing it uh, in the game mm. for, for, for a number of reasons. I think the, the better solution would be to look at these things retrospectively and, and hand out very he- heavy bans, uh, you know, sort of in the same way they do for, for violent violent conduct on the pitch. Um, but but I, I would agree that something has to be done about it. I mean, the, what, what Pepe was doing, it's, it's not okay in any way. 
I think Clattenburg actually handled it quite well. There's a few critics about the appointment of Clattenburg for, for the final, but he was definitely on the spot for quite a few of the big other games, big calls, and absolutely took no crap from, from Pepe. Like, I mean, there was that one scene where he, he put his tongue out, you know, quite a... Yeah. yeah I mean, it, well, of course, it all became about Clattenburg, you know, immediately. But I would say that he didn't, he didn't take any shit um, in, you know, from Pepe during the game. It didn't sort of swallow any of it, so that was good. Um, you, Clattenburg can be forgiven for their offside decision on Ramos? Isn't that his fault? It's, uh, the, the linesman. The linesman's but Yeah, fault. that's a good point. Yeah. And the penalty? Oh, I think it was a penalty. I think it's a tough call, but uh, it, it was it was right. Yeah. I would call it also. Yep. But it was not the obvious one, mm. but uh, I would call it. It's probably the best thing Torres did or not. Yeah, the only <laughs> thing. The only thing. <laughs> the only thing. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the Champions League final was not the only match being played at the weekend. There was also a host of Euro 2016 warm-ups. Uh, Andre, you had your eye across a lot of this, and you had an interesting theory about Italy which is bad news for fans of Ireland, Belgium and Sweden. <laughs> um, I think Italy, uh, they are not as bad as people think. And they started, the, they played with uh, Tiago Motta um, and Daniele De Rossi and uh, who was the other guy? Florenzi. Florenzi. Yeah. yeah, so this is a quite decent midfield. If you compare this midfield to... Uh, fellow teams uh, on on their group. It's like, quite nice. It probably is the best midfield. So, what? so and uh, there's still some um, adjustments to 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 make uh, in the team. The first half was quite boring against Scotland because Scotland is not really they they don't bring a lot of excitement to the match, and uh, it was like all Scottish in the box waiting for Italy. And Italy trying to, trying to create something, and there was a lack of creativity in the first half. But in the second half, things changed a little bit, and uh, Italy created quite a few chance, chances, and they could have scored three goals easily. I tell you, I tell you what was exciting. That's Scotland. The Scotland kid. jersey. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Paddy, could you see yourself in one of those? Uh, what's I, the what's the exact type of pink fuchsia maybe? Yeah, fuchsia. Yeah, fuchsia. Yeah, yeah. Could, I, could you see yourself in that fuchsia color? I mean, for those who can't obviously see me, no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a clash, no, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I do look quite Scottish at times, but uh, which is why the Scottish national team should definitely not be you know wearing any pink around. Yeah. I think you need to be a more swarthy Southern European type to get away with that. Correct. That, correct. that shade of yeah. pink. Uh, okay, so you didn't. You, you're not going to go for that, but you did have an eye on the England game. I did, it was, and you were none too impressed. Yeah, you know, I think there were some some real problems for England. Um, I mean, they played against Australia. Both teams were missing some key players. Australia had their probably their first choice midfield in, and really caused some trouble for England. Um, England had some some bright sparks. I mean, Rashford was terrific. Um, to be honest, he may have played his way into a ticket now. Daniel Sturridge is going to have to be really, really worried about his position in this squad. Um, and should, Rooney, when he came on. I should know that we are recording this before the, the squad announcement has, of course. Been, has been made. Of course. Um, do you, sorry to interrupt, but do you expect Rashford to, to be in there ahead of Sturridge? Uh, gut feeling after this game, yeah. Yeah, he was terrific. Yeah. And he could, you know, play out wide, you know, did all the right things, passed well, shot well, moved into the right spaces. Really good. Um, and yeah, like I said before, Rooney, when he came on uh, in the second half, was just a class above. This is where 
England did get over Australia in the end because they just had that, that cutting edge. But there was a real absence of control in midfield. Wilshere as a, as, a, as a holding midfielder doesn't really work, um, but I think uh, Hodgson really wants to persist with that. Deli Alley coming back in will help, of course, because um, I don't know if Danny Drinkwater and Jordan Henderson are going to get England too far in this tournament. Um, but, there, yeah, a few areas of concern for England, certainly. What I think England are missing, and this may sound a bit stupid, I think they should have brought Michael Carrick. I think he brings that sort of level of experience and control to the midfield. I think there's some really exciting English midfielders like Dyer, like Deli Alley, players like that. But I think if you just added a little pinch of experience in the form of Michael Carrick, that could that could have brought them further than they might go now. You can say, I mean, what is Carrick... Uh, what is Danny Drinkwater and maybe Jordan Henderson going to provide that, that Carrick won't? Um, is there a huge difference when neither of those players are going to start? Um, you know, who would you one bringing on in the last 10 minutes of a match? Carrick. Po- yeah, potentially, yes. Yeah. Yep. So it's a good argument to be had. Yeah. Okay. Um, next up for England is Portugal. Is anybody in any way interested in this? I think I think everyone should be interested. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe one guy in the room. Yeah. Maybe one guy. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a tradition of uh, beating England in several moments of our <laughs> history. Uh, so I think we're gonna beat England again. Right. Without yeah. without Ronaldo though. Without Ronaldo, yeah. What's wrong with him? Uh, nothing is wrong. I mean, he's just on vacation. He needs. Oh, to... okay. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was an he's in Morocco. He's, got he's in Morocco. Stand. Probably yeah. he's getting yeah. ten. Yes. Yeah. You need to be perfectly ten to play the Euros. You should know that. Uh, <laughs> that's why we've never made the Euros. Here. <laughs> that's one of the reasons. All right. Okay. But you still think without Ronaldo, Portugal can get past this England side? Yeah, I th- this is kind of weird. But sometimes Portugal without Ronaldo works better as a team. And, uh, I could see that. I could see, I why, that, see. I could see why that might happen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Portugal did a pretty interesting match against Norway. I think it would should be probably the best match in the last ten matches, I would say. And uh, Portugal scored three. It could have they could have scored more. And uh, there was some players popping up and doing some pretty interesting. Um, Performances, uh, yeah, I think I think we we gonna make a, uh, an excellent match against against England. Okay, there's some momentum always against England. I don't know why. They're their oldest allies, and in some ways, we we love to beat them. Well, it's always fun to beat England. <laughs> it's always fun to beat England. It's always true. Fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you're maybe the only person in the room interested in that game, but, <laughs> but lots of us are interested in Paul Pogba. You particularly. I must have watched, for those of you who missed last night's game, Monday night's game, uh, France beat Cameroon 3-2, but the best part of the match for me was this pass from Pogba for Giroud. And not just the pass, the move before. I mean, yeah. the ease, with the grace with which he, he, he did it. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in Ian's camp. Yeah, from, Danny's sweating from, profusely yeah. here. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, but... It, I mean, the best part about it for me, like the movement and all was lovely, but he doesn't, it's almost like he doesn't look up, yet he still can get the ball straight to Giroud's foot, who is a good 30 or 40 yards away. He is a player who has a wonderful uh, kind of sense for the game and, and he's able to, to create those special moments uh, pretty effortlessly, really, w- w- because he not only does he have the, the, the kind of vision, the awareness, all, all those characteristics, he, he has the technique to do just about anything that pops into his head. Um, really, really remarkable 
play. Yeah, I mean, when he's making Giroud look like a natural finisher. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a decent finish, by the way. It was, it was, absolutely. Um, but yeah. Did you hear what happened to Giroud before, he, before the match? No. He got booed coming off the French bus. Oh. Roundly, roundly booed. And during the match. Even. And during the match as well. Yeah. And there were people calling for Benzema. Yeah, well, it's Horrid. probably not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a bit late at this stage. Yeah. At the same time, I think uh, Giroud he missed a couple chances, and and besides, what? apart from the goal, uh, that doesn't sound like Giroud at all. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, but besides from the goal, uh, really didn't didn't play that well, and I think in a lot of ways that's the, the, this match confirmed uh, kind of what we've all been thinking about the French team, which is a. Uh, Giroud is nowhere near as good as, as Benzema and uh, B, they have some real problems in the centre of defence mm-hmm. now with all they the They considered two goals from Cameroon. Uh, and <laughs> not only that, it was uh, the both goals were directly the fault of uh, Adil Rami and, and Laurent Koscielny so that they have okay. some, some, some real problems there. Okay. Uh, do we want to have a word about Dimitri Payet? Uh, yes, we always want to have a word about him. <laughs> I think, it, okay. did, am, I, am I remembering this right? He scored free kicks in his... Maybe his last three games. His for last France? three games for France, he scored three free kicks. <laughs> Do you know how many games it took France to score three free kicks before that? How long? 152. Wow, Jesus! That's the That's sort of set piece brilliance yeah. Payet is bringing to France. Yeah. There was a great quote. He did an interview with L'Equipe uh, actually before the game yesterday, and they asked him. Do you, do you work on your free you know do you, you must train them every day in practice he said no actually I was training them for a while but after I scored my first one for West Ham I, I decided I'd perfected the technique and I haven't touched one on the training <laughs> ground since yeah. really so um, yeah he's a guy you know he's obviously in very confident form and I think he could be a, a, a potential difference maker for France yeah yeah I agree do you want to also have a word about the current world champions and their trial and tribulations in Augsburg the other night very hard to take too much away from that game, particularly the second half. Um, mind you, Mark Stegen, Mark Andre Stegen would not want to see that again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was that the game was a farce by the end, like the, with the way that the ball basically just got stuck on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Germany would be too concerned. Um, Jogi Love clearly wanted the game to be called off, um, as you would, considering that the, the potential for injuries in that sort of conditions, in those sort of conditions, you know, is, is quite high. And particularly when you get getting very little out of the game, um, I think there was probably no point for it to go ahead. So you wouldn't be too worried that they were very loose at the back Definitely and a bit not. out of the rhythm in midfield? Definitely not, yeah. Okay. And just one quick note about Germany, and I think the same applies to Spain. They're kind of stumbling into the Euros in terms of one or two, one or two ish, issues with injuries, one or two players arriving late, uh, not looking particularly convincing. But the thing with both of these squads is they have so much quality that they can afford to Correct. to play badly at the beginning yeah. of the tournament and then um, step step it up once it, it and, gets and into the knockout rounds. There's uh, that situation of thirds getting qualified. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a big problem. W- wouldn't be worried if I were no. either of those yeah. I mean, unless it's going to be torrential rain in France the whole time, <laughs> then Germany might be in trouble. And Slovakia might be a dark horse all of a sudden. But uh, no, I think they're going to be fine. <laughs> Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Hello. Danny. Hey, how are you? Yeah, good. How are you? Fine as well. What time is it in Venezuela? About 4.30. In the morning? Yeah. Oh my God. 
Done. You're dead. You're <laughs> Don't worry about it. I wake up early every day, and I mean, regardless, so it doesn't make that much difference. Wake up half hour earlier. Ah, okay. Now this summer sees the Copa America celebrate its hundred year anniversary. Joining us on the line to preview the tournament is Daniel Cadena Jordan, who's based in Venezuela but who writes for Mia Bundesliga. Danny, I guess the first question is this: since it is the hundred year anniversary of the Copa America, the famous South American tournament, why is it being played in the U.S.? Um, well, I think there's there's interest both in CONCACAF and CONMEBOL to explore new markets. They both know that if they don't start thinking, uh, start including themselves in their plans, you know, growth is kind of limited. And, and, you know, CONCACAF, the only real big markets are Mexico and the United States, maybe to a lesser extent Canada, but they kind of need, you know, to get their foot in the rest of the continent if they want to, uh, to you know, re- become a real presence. And also, sporting-wise, well, sports-wise, you have to also understand the United States and Mexico still kind of have to prove themselves towards or against their, you know, usually more successful South American brothers. Uh, whereas for South America, well, they need more markets. It's purely, in my opinion, uh, a marketing move in which, you know, you get a chance to have a throughout a well, good, better part of a month, uh, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, Colombia, and company just, you know, touring the country. And, of course, that should boost... Uh, the popularity of the of the of the sport throughout the United States, and uh, of course, it's I think a win win for both uh, confederations. Are South Americans angry about that, or they've just sort of accepted it? It really wasn't that big of a discussion. Like I, I, I think in the back of the mind, they would have gone, "Well, we would prefer Argentina or or Uruguay or whatever." But given that. Uh, Already, well, I don't know if you know this, this but uh, the, the Copa America usually is sort of like rotated on alphabetical order. So, like for instance, if it was Chile the last host, then it was supposed to be Colombia for the next uh, event, and then just move on to the next one alphabetically, which would have been uh, Ecuador, I think. But uh, uh, Colombia didn't seem to mind that much that they stuck the United States there in the middle. Um, well, basically because they had to organize the whole tournament from scratch, which they weren't, you know, that up to doing, you know, after after you know just one year between one Copa America and the, and the next one. Uh, quick question for you, Danny. The Copa America historically has a reputation as as a tournament where young players can shine and and really make a name for themselves. Um, can you give us some players who you think might uh, kind of step up this time around? Well, for instance, Colombia is interesting. Uh, the, the the team that is serving the most amount of the most amount of players for Colombia is uh, Atlético Nacional, the, the the Colombian side, and they're the players they're adding is just well, pretty much just young players. For instance, they have Sebastián Pérez in midfield. He's 23 years old. They have a forward, uh, Marlos Moreno. He's 19. They have Felipe Ligar. He's 23. Uh, as well as goalkeepers Bonilla and, and defender Diaz. They're, well, Diaz is a bit older. He's 32, but Bonilla is 22 years old. For instance, so Colombia is relying heavily. On uh, on you know contingent of young upcoming players that can make a difference uh, throughout the years and uh, well the next the following years and the Colombian national side uh, other teams like Venezuela like uh, Brazil sorry like Brazil like Argentina they're also trying out a couple of, of unknown names uh, well Venezuela is pretty much building up for the team from scratch Brazil for instance has I think a total of one about two or three players that haven't even have one even, that don't even have one cap with the team yet uh, let alone. Um, an amount of players that uh, that has at least ten games is less than the. Let me, put it, let me phrase it another way: less than half of the squad has at least ten caps of the Brazilian side. So obviously they're trying they're trying out uh, new names and and sort of uh, also their shuffle to make it to the next World Cup. We all know that they're still technically sitting outside the qualifying berth. So yeah, they kind of need that fresh blood. Uh, and like those teams, uh, well, Peru is also trying a lot uh, a lot of new names as well. 
Danny, um, what impact do you think the Olympics is having on the tournament? Um, for, for one thing, I mean, we won't see Neymar at the Copa America because um, Barcelona managed to strike a deal with the uh, Brazil Federation to, to free him up for the Olympics at the expense of the Copa America. Do you think it's, it's taken a bit of a shine off, um, given it is the 100-year the anniversary? It definitely has an impact. As you say, uh, well, Brazil doesn't have Neymar, which is sort of like the figure of Brazilian football nowadays, and that, of course, will be felt as an impact because, well, you pretty much force that all the you pretty much force all federations that are taking part both in Copa America and the Olympics to choose which tournament they're going to give priority to. Um, as we were speaking right now, as we we're saying, Brazil seems to be more focused on trying out new players in the Copa America and send Neymar and a couple other players, uh, a couple other big names to to the Olympics, and that, of course, has had its repercussions on, on the players they can call. Having said that, teams like Argentina, for instance, gave it more priority or gave it a, a bigger holding to uh, well, their team in the, in the Copa America, and well, they're going with everybody. I mean, all the players that are that are called by Argentina are, are the usual names that you'd see, uh, well, you know, called up for the qualifiers of the World Cup even. Given that Brazil are more focused on the Olympics, how much pressure is there going to be on Donga? I think the pressure is going to be just as high. I mean, uh, the, the the crowd, the Brazilian public is still expecting sort of like the bounce back from the, the, the 2014 World Cup, which we all know how it ended for Brazil. Um, you know, a 7-1 defeat and then losing the third place match against Holland, that, that didn't do, that didn't go down well with the, with the fans. And given the fact that they're still currently sitting sixth place in the Comet Ball qualifiers, well, they have a long way to, to you know, kind of re- revindicate themselves with their audience. So yeah, I- I'd say that uh, a bad performance might not be fatal for Dunga, but it definitely wouldn't help in his cause at all. Danny, what do you make of? Um, I'm sure you saw Jurgen Klinsmann's comments the other day, saying that there's going to be more quality on show in the in the Copa America than there will be in the Euros, given the 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 diluted uh, 24 team Euro field. Um, it, he he kind of has a strong argument. There are five of the top nine ranked teams in the world playing in this in this tournament. Yeah, well, it's definitely loaded with with um, with big names and and, and amazing teams. Um, as well, he points out something interesting. Over half of the of the top nine teams are uh, either South American or from Concacaf, which is something amazing to have in the tournament. And fifteen teams and five sorry five teams would be about a third of the whole uh, of the whole contingents that that be taking part in this tournament. Um, he's right to a certain degree. I don't think that it's better or worse than the Euro. I think they're different tournaments. Um, also, the fact that the Euro is played. I think they, I think they, they yeah they, they actually play at kind of the same time as the Copa America so it could be an interesting compromise to see uh, well who if, if people who actually have a problem watching both tournaments uh, either in Europe or here or if there are people just gonna you know not have any sort of allegiance or anything and just focus on watching whatever game's on which I think in the end is what what, what will end up happening people won't really mind that there are two tournaments at the same time or that there's sort of like this you know American versus European rivalry going on but. Uh, uh, for the most part, I think they're just you know complementary, not necessarily uh, you know uh, feuding tournaments, so to say, so to speak. Danny, what about uh, surprises? Because uh, uh, I've been watching uh, Costa Rica and Colombia, and I think that both can be a surprise in the tournament. What do you think? Well, Costa Rica had an amazing performance in 2014. You have to keep that in mind. Maybe the the coach is gone, but the talent is definitely there, and. Uh, well, they prove that they have what it takes to to you know be the sort of like the shock team or the or the low revelation of the tournament. Um, they could if they pull it off in the big stage, which was the World Cup. I'm pretty sure they can pull off something uh, 
uh, in this uh, in this tournament as well. But uh, they don't have it that easy with the group they have. I mean, they're they they're seated with the host United States. They're seated with Colombia and Paraguay, which for you know for what it's worth, Paraguay is also one of the hardest teams to beat. They're very physical. They're very aggressive, uh, and they have always a, an up speed tempo to them. That paired with uh, with really strong defense could you know prove tricky to teams like Costa Rica that are not necessarily known for their for their core scoring abilities. Danny, you mentioned Argentina a few minutes ago. With the amount of attacking talent at their fingertips, they've got to be the favorites, right? Yeah, they're definitely up there. I think that the three big teams to beat would be Uruguay, Argentina, and um, um, I'm sorry, Chile. I think those would be the three big teams, or the three teams with the biggest ambitions with this tournament. Chile, of course, wants to keep on their run and try to, you know, shock the world and get back to back Copa Americas. Um, why not? They have the squad for it. Argentina have a lot to prove. They lost the final uh, last edition out. 2011, they hosted it. They didn't do that. They they fared, you know, well as well. But, you know, they kind of want to win that tournament again. And Uruguay, well, they're, they're they're the historical champions of this tournament. So they'll feel just at home and just like home. And uh, they'll want to uh, just push for the big win. That was Daniel Cadena Jordan from Mia Bundesliga, who's based in Venezuela. Danny, you're American. I am. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's talk about that, or let's talk about your team's chances at the Copa America. So I, I think it's interesting. There there are kind of two uh, conflicting narratives going into the, to the US for 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 this tournament. Um, on one hand, you have the emergence of a, a talented, kind of exciting group of of newer players. Um, I'm thinking of players like Bobby Wood. Uh, Darlington Nagby, who, who recently got American citizenship, and of course uh, Christian Pulisic, who we've we've all seen here in Germany with with Bruce Dortmund, um, uh, and that's really exciting. I mean, the, it's it's a team that's been kind of crying out for creative uh, attacking influences for basically ever. Um, and then on the other side of that, you have you have a manager with a tendency to to revert to this sort of uh, trusted old guard of players, especially in in, in big games and. And big tournaments, uh, sort of, uh, with with an indifference to to form or to position in some cases. Um, the the big example here is is Clint Dempsey, who who hasn't been in good form, um, but kind of gets uh, shoehorned or looks like he's going to be shoehorned into the side, anyways. Well, Clint Dempsey still plays for America. He does, yes, absolutely, still plays for America. He's uh, thirty two, thirty, I think thirty two, thirty three, yeah. somewhere around there now. Um, He's not that old, so. Did you know that Clint Dempsey is also has a second job as a rapper? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We don't need to go back into rap again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we need to go back to yeah. <laughs> we, we could have a long discussion about <laughs> rap after. Myself the, uh, and Danny had this uh, intro. No, we won't go back to it. Okay. Sorry, um, So, 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 basically, in you know, there's there's reasons to be optimistic and reasons to to be more cynical. I think it's a it's a, a tricky group that they have with Colombia, Costa Rica, and, and Paraguay, uh, and um, there's a there's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of pressure uh, run, running on on this tournament. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Klinsman has predicted a semi final for America. I think it's a little optimistic. The, the, there's this kind of. Uh, recurring theme. The, the the bottom line is that um, uh, Americans have overperformed in in major tournaments, particularly at the World Cup. And if you look back to two thousand two, they were basically one terrible refereeing decision away from from making the semifinals. 
uh, they've you know gotten out of the the group stages in in 2010 uh, 2014 drew against Italy who who won the, the World Cup in 2006 um, and Americans really care about about these major tournaments. So there, there's a there's a ton of uh, pressure to to perform well. And in a way, I think that sets back the the, the development of of, uh, of of the players and uh, and any chance of forming sort of a, a national identity as a as a team, um, which which hasn't yet happened. Uh, and the truth is that the the quality of the players, if you look at the U.S. compared to the other squads in this tournament, they're just not there yet. And you know, it's coming. There's some great young players developing, but uh, I, I think in a lot of ways expectations are too high. And and, and Klinsman saying things like that they're going to get to the semifinal in, in in a very difficult tournament with with some South American teams who have really bought, brought their 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 top players. Um, probably doesn't help, but he's kind of forced to say things like that. He's under a ton of pressure. Who's putting all this pressure on him? Is that just self-inflicted or is this public mm, awareness? No, or? no absolutely not. I, I, I think the, the growth of the game in the country has been well documented. I'm sure you guys have heard about it. Um, like I was saying, Americans are, are, are really excited about, about these major tournaments. It's taking place in the United States. Um, there, there's a huge, huge buzz around it. And, and Americans are very proud of their... Uh, of their national team, um, so I think it's definitely uh, public opinion um, that that you know, kind of by this stage in uh, in the process of America's development, they 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 should be expecting to to do quite well in these tournaments. Um, and there's a bit of a disconnect, like I was saying. I, I just don't think the players are there yet. Okay, a prediction for the tournament then? You know what? I'm not very optimistic. I, I think. The, the group is very difficult and they'll have a tough time making it uh, making it out. Okay, and Argentina to win? You know what, I'll go with uh, Uruguay. Uh, I, I think they're, they're a good side and um, as Danny was saying, they've historically done very well in this, in this competition. Um, and there's a, a few concerns about the Argentina squad. Brazil are, are, are missing Neymar. I think uh, Uruguay have a good chance. Brazil also have Kaká. They do. They, they do. do. That's astounding. They've had him for a while, actually. <laughs> They've had him for a while. I just assumed he'd retired or was, you know, off, you know, praying. It looks a bit like a, a marquee player in order to uh, sell a lot of shirts in, in the US, right? Yeah, well, there's that. Obviously, he plays in the US now. He plays in Orlando. Uh, uh, Dunga also really trusts Kaká. And I think there's a little bit of pressure, and Danny sort of hinted on it, uh, uh, on Dunga to, to perform well in this tournament. Um, and yeah, he's he's decided to to bring back a player who he uh, trusts and who's playing quite well at the moment as well. Andre, you also wanted to give a quick prediction before we go. Uh, I'm with Danny with with Uruguay. I think they they are the major major bat, and uh, also Colombia. One of one of these two will take the, the trophy. Paddy, Chile for me. Um, they, they travel quite well. Um, defending champions going to be hard for them to to back that up, of course, but. Um, always very, very hard to beat. They've got a lot of uh, bulldogs in that midfield and that always makes them tough. That's one way of describing them, yeah. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Andre, the two Dannys and our producer Damien. Go to iTunes, rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast and while you're there you might as well download the OneFootball app too. You can also hit us up on Twitter, Facebook and SoundCloud at OneFootball. Thanks for listening. <laughs>